Thanks for tuning in again, everybody. We're back with your favorite podcast, Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze. Oh, my. Luca Nation, episode 610. Think about that. 610, man. We wouldn't be here without you guys. We wouldn't be here without our community, but we also wouldn't be here without great guests. Uh, and I wanted to invite our good friends over at My Slabs back onto the show. So three, four months ago, we had uh, Ken and Matt on. And I think what's cool about My Slabs is it's a business that adds value to the marketplace, but they've been behind the scenes for a very long time. You know, no one really talks about them in a negative light, which is rare in the hobby because card porn scopes everybody out. Um but these guys just deliver value to the end consumer, both to the buyer and to the seller through a peer-to-peer marketplace. It takes 1% sales fee unless you be on your merry way. So we said, you know, love you guys. All is awesome. If you ever have an update, come back on. So you guys saw maybe two, three weeks ago, there was a post on Instagram. They're now accepting raw cards. So we wanted it. We got a million questions. We wanted to get some answers. So we brought them on. Here we are chatting behind the scenes. They're also making it easy for you guys peer-to-peer and international because we have a big following. Well, Cage has a big following in Australia. So I'm also a big Sheboygan. That's true. All your all of our international people, they might want to stay tuned and listen to this episode for how you could buy high-end cards from here to the US, all the way to Europe, Australia, etc. So Ken, Matt, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you guys on and excited to share a little bit about kind of the updates coming from uh, the chocolate factory from my slabs. Good afternoon, guys. Yeah, guys, it's uh, really a pleasure, man. I, I uh, you know, all, all that aside, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I watch you guys every week, all the time. Um, you know, maybe not every day, you know, but, uh, but I try to. So I, I watch you guys at least five times a week. Did you watch our show last week from Atlanta? Uh, you know, that that might might not have been. What episode was it, Cage? I don't. It was like five ninety nine or something like that. It was cool. the episode title is. Andrew drops a bomb on Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you haven't, so there's a lot of play on words with my titling, right? So one, obviously, if you're old enough, you remember the 1996 Atlanta bombing, which is not something to be joking about. Um, but it was more of because for the first 20 minutes of the episode, if you haven't listened, please go back. It's literally my favorite 20 minutes of anything we've done in 610 episodes plus uh, whatnot shows. This is how I fly into culture collision, Ken. So, so basically, I'm. I don't want. We already have an episode, so you can go back and listen to it. But yeah, yeah, Andrew yeah. spends the first 20 minutes talking about how he was taking a dump in the airport because that's the thing he likes to do when he flies. And then <laughs> ended, the up, ended up, someone walked in on him, he lost his passport. It was like a whole ridiculous story, which I loved. I think it was great content because Andrew, just like he is right now, he's stuck in Mexico. He's just there working. I don't let him go to parties. Like he's in Mexico, but he's not partying. He's not doing like spring break. He's not out there, you know, doing any kind of drugs whatsoever. He's working 24-7. When it's he's true. not asleep, he's awake, building up the podcast. So it's I true. love that he went to Atlanta because he had a story. Of course, the story was about how beagles were attacking him because he brought weed on the plane with him in international air. But whatever. It was a funny story. All I that's like taken it. out of context. Listen to the episode. Ken, welcome back on the I show. Take it all out of context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Sure, I think the last episode I watched, I was actually listening to uh, last night. It was one with like, I don't know, man. You guys are like deep in the weeds, talking about Nemo and and uh, yes, you know, and all that. Like it was, uh, you guys are really the ecosystem, you know, yeah, right. your ecosystem, the ecosystem your ocean, plankton and all that. Like I'm like, Fine. damn, yeah. same question. Same question to you, Ken. Is Gary good for the hobby? 
He's oh buying God. LeBron rookies. <laughs> he's buying them, or, or or he's he already bought them, and now he's he just... bought them from my slabs. And <laughs> is he good for the hobby? Yes. <laughs> if he bought them from us, sure. There we go. Listen, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, and I told these guys this behind the scenes, right? It's nice to have somebody on. We get a lot of DMs, and I love every one of them, and I respond to every one of them. Right now, I don't have any unread DMs, but people will tell us what people are doing well, and people will tell us what people are doing bad. Right. People will tell us all kinds of stuff. Right. And we've never had anybody say anything bad about you guys, which is pretty crazy. And it doesn't make for a good episode because I want to be able to read you a DM or a message that says, oh, my God, those my sleds guys, they screwed me out of my money. Or It's juicier that way. You know, it's like National Enquirer. So I went and I looked on Facebook and I said, let me go find oh, some no. crappy reviews on Facebook. Let me go get one. So let me just read you the first two reviews on Facebook. You ready? Yep. Matt's nervous. Matt should be nervous because he's mentioned by name in the second. Oh, nice. Wow. Right? So he should be nervous. Well, should I put a helmet on for this one? Nervous. <laughs> put a helmet on. So here you go, guys. This is it. Uh, it. You know, we tell everybody if you come on a show, get ready to get in the cage. It's gotcha time. You guys are going to be sorry. Here we go. Number one, amazing site to use for both buyers and sellers. Great deals on cards and the best protection for sellers available on a major marketplace. Two thumbs way up. That's the first review on my slips. It's as if you guys wrote it yourself, which is oh, pretty yeah. crazy. It sounds like your cousin. And you're ready, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> I, I have to mix a bad one in. But here's All right, give it to me. You ready? Here we give go. It to you. I completed my first three transactions yesterday, right after I posted. Everything's working well. Matt is so nice. Thank you very much for your help. I much appreciated. <laughs> I was I, ready for I, like I a wrote, real Bob. I, I just wrote, I wrote my slabs, reviews, Facebook, boom, pops up. This is what you get. How am I supposed to work with this? Can you guys do something? Mess I could up read you. I could read you a few private messages where people tell me to go screw myself. No, no, <laughs> come on. I'm building you up here. Come on now. Listen, here's what my take is, and tell me what I have it wrong, right? You're trying to build a peer to peer network. You're trying to build something where, you know, I try to social sell, right? I'm lucky. We have a whatnot show. People come on. I sell stuff way too cheap on Sunday mornings, and we're going to yeah. continue that, right? We give people bargains. But I've tried. I've tried to list my stuff on my story. You know, I tried to list my things on, on, a, on my Instagram story myself, and I said, hey, you know, I got a Joe Burrow PSA 10 prism orange color match, right? I picked, I should be getting a 1,000 people responding to me on this. I put it up in my story, right? I got this Trey Young 2018 prism PSA 10 purple out of 75 right after he drops 50 points. Like, like people should be all over it. But you know what? There's too many places to look, right? And all the eyeballs are not coming to my – I don't care how many followers I have. I don't have that many. But clearly, that's not the way to do it. So yours is a good way to do it. You have enough people looking at it. And it's the same thing, maybe even easier, as me trying to take pictures of it and put it up on my story. But you now have it on a platform that also takes care of the the the, the, the transaction and an arm's length deal, right? You escrow the money, you do all this fun stuff, you make sure nobody gets screwed. And what do you charge? What's the percent? Is it 20% buyer's premium? Is it like a 10%, 12 13 with uh, like eBay fees? What's the percent? It's uh, right now. It's it's one on each side for slept. One percent. So right. 1%, I mean, one percent. So I think we should end the episode, Andrew. What am I supposed to? What are we supposed to do? Seriously, I guys, they're not paying me for this. We're not a, we're not sponsored. There's nothing here. It's true. I mean, it's there right now. There are a million places to go to buy cards, but why would you pay more than percent? Why would you do that? Obviously, it's, you have the same protections. Do you have? Let's talk about that. Do you have the same protections on your site for the buyer and the seller as they would have anywhere else? What kind of protections do you have for both sides? 
Well, I think we have better, to be honest with you. Um, to your point, um, social platforms, um, I've been on them forever. I used to run a couple of the high-end rooms on Facebook. Actually, they're, you know, still run them. They're still open. It's just people have shifted away from that. Um, the interactions, I mean, I tried selling stuff in a, a Michael Jordan room on Facebook this weekend, and it was just, it was brutal. I posted things at a really considerable deal below comps. People were still coming in, just lowballing, and then claiming things and not paying. So I think people are fed up with that. As for our protection, you guys know we vet all of our sellers. Um, you know, they're, they're put through a, I don't want to say rigorous screening process, but they're forced to give us enough information, verifiable information out of the gate that we can say yay or nay. And we have enough information in our database and connections that we pretty much already know who most of the bad players are. So a lot of times when a name comes through that we know has had an issue somewhere, they don't make it in. I personally screen the buyer database constantly for probably a thousand different names. And from that point, I kind of cross-reference addresses, PayPal accounts. We're constantly removing people. In that sense, you know, I don't think any other platform does that. Um, we also have, which I don't want to get too deep into to give away the, uh, the secret recipe, we have a lot of blocks in place for when a bad buyer or a bad seller is removed from the platform so they can't get back on. And I'm not going to go into detail with what those are, but it's virtually impossible to get back on if you've been removed. And that doesn't mean they've screwed somebody over on our platform because to date, I think there's been one deal that was questionable, like someone may have lost out, but I found out in the end, um, the seller that didn't insure the pack, didn't insure the pack and wanted us to pay for it actually had personal personal insurance on it and had already you know reclaimed that it was a very funky situation but there's that's only what that's the only situation in about 120,000 transactions where we believe somebody may have lost out and it was so bizarre nobody could make head, heads or tails out of it um happens i mean it's 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 i mean i think the reason my slabs works um and again, I mean, I can't personally take credit because it was around a couple of years before I came aboard. Um, but really, it's the truth of it is like, you know, back in 2017, 2018, when it all started, I mean, I guess, you know, eBay, especially in terms of peer to peer, I mean, eBay was everybody's go to. I mean, it still is, you know, for the most part. Um, I, I guess you just what is it that what are the things that you that you don't like about eBay? And then essentially backwards. Right. And go backwards. It's exactly what it is. Right. Like, so it's, it's, uh, you know, so I have a question for you guys. Right. So nobody wants to touch real cards. Nobody wants to deal with real cards from a business perspective. Right. We've been asking them for 12 years, 12 months. No you one know, wants to, no one wants to touch real cards. Um, you know, we, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, but even eBay now, anything above what $750 has got to go through authentication, which, you know, is not a terrible thing. I'm seeing a lot of posts about things not passing authentication, which is always a, a good thing. Um, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, you know, who's authenticating them the whole nine yards, but it is what it is. But so tell me, you know, eBay doesn't really want to be in raw cards above $750. Um, and, you know, the other companies that came out that were trying to do, um, you know, raw, they're not looking to do raw anymore. They want to do NFTs and box breaks and stuff. Um, why, why is it different with you guys? Why do you, you know, 
where are you going to succeed with Raw where everybody else has failed and why? I, I mean, if I could just start, Matt. Shoot, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think one thing um, is that, I mean, if we want to just look at Starstock, because they're the most recent, you know, example that was doing a ton of Raw. You know, I, I think that Starstock is, is, is just their model, um, you know, with, with having a, a vault and just having all that stuff on hand and obviously having to have all the, the staff, you know, to intake that stuff, to catalog, you know, curate that stuff and, and store it and ship it and, you know, everything in between. Like, I, I just think that, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's pretty obvious that that model, you know, it's, it's hard to be profitable, you know, doing all of that, um, you, know, you would need a team of Oompa Loompas like Willy Wonka running around the vault all day, moving cards from one place to another. And putting golden tickets in. Yeah. I think Starstock, you know, to be honest, I, I think it was a, a good platform. It's a good service. You know, I know a lot of guys talk, you know, very positively about what they offered. It's just, I just think it's an example of something that's a good service and that's something people can really get behind and buy into from a consumer perspective. But it just doesn't make a good business, right? Because it just... You know, obviously everything involved, you know, and, and, and kind of bringing that to the table on the back end just doesn't really make it make it a good, you know, from a profit perspective. So I think, you know, I, I mean, as far as what we we bring to the table, I mean, I think our the biggest thing that we have going for us in, in, in terms of, you know, being able to take on something like raw uh, is is the vetting on the front end. You know, obviously people, you know, that are and also. I mean, obviously we vet sellers when they come in, but we also hold buyers to a very high standard and we have a very low threshold for BS. So, you know, if people aren't, you know, if people are trying to get over and people are trying to return things for the wrong reasons and, 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 you know, people are, you know, not describing and representing their inventory properly when they list on site, I mean, those people are going to be gone. And I think that uh, that's, that's why uh, I think, you know, my slabs, you know, of anyone, I, I think we have a chance to make this kind of thing work. It's for that reason. You know, if you have all these other platforms where, you know, you, you, you just, uh, especially eBay, you know, right? eBay is like a peer to peer and they're a huge public company. So they can't vet the way we do, right? Like they can't, you know, what would the optics of that be in the public if eBay is like turning, you know, people down that want to jump on the platform? They just can't do it just because of who they are, right? So it, it's, it's, um, so, I, like I said, obviously they have to resort to being everybody's, you know, mommy, you know, to everybody and, you know, just kind of getting in between and obviously getting possession of the cards, verifying the cards. Like they just have to police it at a level that's just, you know, like, uh, you know, much more lenient than Matt right here. So I well, do want to by the end of this episode, I do want you to read us your DMs. Tell me if I'm totally crazy here. The big advantage the you the have pictures. over. The big advantage you have, Ken, is the fact that people don't actually have to ship their cards anywhere, right? They just list them, right? With eBay, you have to send your cards to eBay. They authenticate. With Starstack, you have to send your raw cards to them. They have to intake them. With my slabs, you take a small percentage, 1% on both sides. With the seller, all they have to do is, hey, use my phone. Beautiful photo, beautiful photo. There's a drop down for the condition, and you're all set to go, right? If you're a verified seller. Yeah. I mean, listen, obviously up until very recently, eBay was doing it that way as well. And it didn't work clearly. Um, I mean, obviously they're, you know, try to try to paint it as, you know, it's, you know, they're doing like the, you know, the authentication and, and I get that and that's great. But 
you know, I mean, personally, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think that, you know, that sounds good and that's, that's a good story and that's definitely an added service. But I mean, I mean, how many, how many people are having problems with, I mean, I've been buying cards on eBay for years. I, I never had a problem with like the authentication, you know, of, of a card or what have you. And, um, you know, I, I think clearly on the back end, they were probably getting annihilated with chargebacks. And they, in order to, I mean, you notice now with this new system they put in place, it's all sales are final, unless the seller says otherwise. If you read their terms and conditions, which is a real departure for eBay, right? So I think that, you know, by by getting that extra set of hands, that th those third-party hands in the middle of the process, uh, and obviously also after having gotten away from PayPal, you know, they brought all the payment processing in-house. They just have, they're, they're, Positioning themselves in a way, I think, that just enables them to be much more judge and jury over just, you know, returns and 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 chargebacks and all of that. So I think, you know, from a business, from an eBay perspective, you know, I think that that is probably and I don't know, I'm not behind, you know, closed doors there. So I don't know. I'm just speculating, of course. But I think that that something along those lines has to be their real motivation in, in, in all of this, you know, as opposed to just doing everybody a favor and authenticating. Like, I, I think it's, you know, just one man's opinion, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, some of the, the problems some of the other companies saw was there was too much white collar and not enough guys from the industry involved. Um, realistically, we were confident enough. Um, all, everybody in the company has been in the collectibles industry for decades, literally. Um, we have the ability and we've put on, um, you know, extra help to comb the raw and slab sections for counterfeits, fakes, altered cards. I just, you know, I, I had to pull something from the raw section yesterday. I was combing through looking for some cards for, some, for an ad, and I happened to see something stick out, and it was pulled immediately. And we have several other notable individuals from the industry doing that for us as well. So it, it's kind of about confidence and uh, confidence in who we are, I guess. We've all been in around long enough that we felt we could, you know, at least test the waters with raw cards. Yeah, it's a work in progress, right? I mean, listen, I, you know, obviously Matt and I really worked hard on trying to put together, you know, the, the condition guidelines and just, you know, trying to set up a structure where you know, you're giving people a framework to convey condition to one another and set expectations to one another. And, you know, we do the best we can. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I mean, listen, obviously, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. And, and you know, um, but we felt that we at least have a good foundation to start from. And, we'll, you know, we'll certainly make whatever changes are necessary as time goes on. Um, I'm curious. This might be a go going a different direction. But I don't know. Like, I don't know if we're kind of word this. Like, we're in pretty uncertain times. Like, I'm curious myself, what's the future of the collectible space? Oh, and, Ken, you came in. Two years ago, three years ago, right? So I'm curious. My slabs? In your, into my slabs. Into my slabs. Uh, about a year, literally about one year ago. Uh, like it's One like, year ago. So you're a collector your whole life. Now you get to see, you know, when you come into a business, you see it from the outside first. You have your kind of assumptions of how it works. And then now you're inside. Is there anything that surprised you? Anything you learned? Anything that, you know, you might give advice to younger Ken and say, hey, look out for this or think about this. I'm curious, like, if you could give a little bit of like a 101 of the collectibles industry and how it's changed in your eyes. Oof, man, that's that's uh, that's a lot of meat on that phone. 
Um, <laughs> well, you got to understand, we hop on here every day with the intention to add value to the listeners, right? Because they're tuning in. They're giving us their time. Time is more valuable than money. I've been told that. So I always want to value people's time and make sure that they leave with something. And you guys have the privilege of seeing the marketplace from a different angle, a different direction than our listeners, right? So, so listeners that are considering being like entrepreneurs in the business or collectors or like what, like what kind of advice would I give? They're, they're all collectors. We have a few lady listeners. I've met them in Atlanta. She, you know, yes, they listen. They want to hear my voice. But 99.9% of listeners collect cards. Right. Uh, so to give it to give advice as, as a as a collector, can the collector? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I you know, I, I think that uh, if there's anything that uh, well, actually this this is this is I don't know if I said this last time I was on. It's actually as a collector, it's been an interesting exercise for me because I was uh, you know very involved in the card hobby for many many years, um, and uh, you know comic books as well, original comic book art. And, um, you know, for, I mean, that's actually how I met the co one of the co-founders of my slabs, you know, like 20 some odd years ago. And that's how we became friends was through the hobby. And, um, and I, I actually, like a few years ago, I largely sold out of, you know, my collection, um, before the boom, unfortunately. And I did like a six figure renovation on my house and I was starting a business and I just needed the money. Right. So like my collection was a place that I went to and. Um, you know, so I, I largely sold out of everything. So when I came back, uh, well, when I got the, you know, got the offer at my slabs and, and came into the business, I mean, naturally you kind of, you're in it every day. So you get that, you know, the fever to start, uh, you know, collecting again and, and all of that. So, uh, so for me, it's, it's, I'm actually, you know, I know a lot of people say to themselves, Hey, like if I could start over fresh, you know, like, how would I do it? What would I do different? Well, I was actually in that situation, right? Like I was actually just because of, you know, how everything played out, uh, you know, I was actually had the opportunity to, um, you know, start fresh and, you know, and I, and, and I think, you know, a lot of things that just talking to a lot of collectors and seeing what a lot of people do, like, I think it's, it's, you know, a lot of people, uh, you're in the hobby and I think it's very easy to kind of get caught up in that like shiny new thing, you know, kind of thing that happens, right? Like you just be this new player or this new part or, you know, what have you. And, you know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, I think a lot of times people end up, you know, buying things that uh, maybe for the wrong reason. Um, and just because an asset's up a hundred percent doesn't mean it's a good buy. And just because an asset's down 50% doesn't mean it's a bad buy. Yeah. Right. And also I think people, and listen, it's different for different people. And obviously there's no one right way to do this, but I think it's very important for the individual to uh, to really understand yourself as a hobbyist, right? I don't even want to say collector or you know investor. You know, I mean, you could be both, right? You can just you know you're a hobbyist, and but I think it's really important for people to take the time and really get to know yourself and like what makes you tick as a hobbyist and like what are you doing this for? Are you somebody that's nostalgia driven? Are you somebody that is very uh, just looking at this as an alternative asset and you, you want to flip this stuff and you're, you're doing it more as an investment and, and that's okay too. Um, I mean, I personally, I, I tend to be more of a collector and, and I, I really, you know, genuinely like, yeah, I mean, listen, I want to know that I'm not throwing my money away. Like, um, you know, like I did in the past, obviously I spent a lot of money on collectibles and, you know, when, when I needed it for what was life. your worst buy? 
What was your worst buy? Absolutely. Like the, you had conviction and it just went the opposite way. Like a looks rare, for example. My or my little orphan. To be honest with you, a lot of my a lot of my worst buys, and you know, and, I, and I'm definitely guilty of it. Like sometimes, like I'll I'll make impulsive purchases, right? Like you see something, it's cool, you have the money, oh yeah, you know, that's awesome, you know, that's a great card. I'd love to own that, whatever. And you know, you buy it. And then it just, you know, you get it in hand and you get it in person. And like after a few weeks, a couple months, like it just doesn't stick. Right. And then inevitably something else comes along that's maybe more core for you or something that like really checks all the boxes. And, you know, then you, you sometimes want to move out of the stuff that you you kind of bought impulsively and, you know, are uh, less attached to. And, and then sometimes like when you, you get hurt on that stuff. So sometimes uh, some of my worst beats you know, in, in the hobby uh, has come as a result of just making an impulsive purchase and then probably not too long later, probably a few months later, trying trying to get out of it and just... You, you, you have more patience than I. February was impulsive purchase month for me and March is selling impulsive purchases. April, fingers crossed, is going to be good. Matt, I think you're going to know this. I, I, I'm almost confident you're going to know this. Give me your top three cards or top three players that are sold on my slabs in February. Do you do you have that info? I haven't looked at it, but it would be Michael Jordan, Juan Soto, and probably Kobe Bryant last month, I, I believe. Um, One guy at the Atlanta show told me, and I, I'm going to see him again. I can't. Kobe was so last year, he said to me. No, he didn't say that. No audacity to say that. He made like a weird little bounce back in the fall. And I think people, at least in my circles, are actively searching for some of his rarer stuff. Um, he fell off the map just like every every other basketball player did last year. But he had like a weird little bounce back. I actually picked some nice deals up last year in, you know, the dip for him. Some, you know, not anything crazy, crazy rare, but like the take it to the net PSA 10s. And some of the other stuff, just like five, ten thousand dollar cards when they were previously much more. I figured it was a safe buy. Um, Do you think I, with Kobe, it's better to go autos, inserts from the '90s, because there are so many '90s insert collectors, or rookie cards? Well, I mean, the rookies and the inserts kind of overlap there because he has all that. You know, he was right at the insert boom in his rookie year. Um, Personally, I don't think you could really go wrong long term. My theory has always been rookies and 90s parallels. Uh, I, I understand he can't sign anymore, but he still signed quite a bit. And actually, his autos now, you can get on-card autos from like nice sets in gem for 2500 bucks now. I was bamboozled. I, th that was me. I bought that for 3500 <laughs> Well, I mean, chances are they're going to spike again at some point because what goes around comes around. There's always some sort of... Uh, catalyst, whether organic or not. Um, I mean, what's he need? A, a documentary for the Lakers and everybody gets interested and in, or, you know, a Shaq documentary where they're trash talking each other. Um, it, there's always going to be something that can propel that market. But my feeling has always been 90s inserts and refractors have such a, like a large market. And you look at some of the people that are heavily in that, they're just always going to protect the pricing, you know, whether on purpose or not. I mean, they don't care what they're spending. It's to me, that's, that would be my choice. If there's nothing else, I mean, Cage, jump in here. Cause I do agree. The protect the pricing thing is something that I've learned. 
Who owns the other types of cards that you're owning is a really interesting game to play, right? I, I We have a theory that that's why Zion cards haven't tanked as much as they could, yep. right? Because the people who the actually underlying the high-end stuff. Yeah. But even his Prism base cage, it's the same price as Ja. He hasn't played all year. Ja's having a right below MVP caliber season and the same price. It's it's pretty laughable. If he was still it. setting records through, you know, last fall and everybody knew he was out. I mean, his cards were just selling and you have to look because, you know, it isn't the guy buying, you know, $1,000 cards trying to protect that market. It's obviously either people that really believe in him or have a whole lot of money behind him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, Typically, if you can figure out what markets are protected you, and play off those, you'd do well. Juan Soto. So Michael Jordan, Kobe, sandwiched by a guy who... I believe it was Juan Soto. I'm almost positive. No, but, but Juan Soto, is, like it, it passes the stiff test because Juan Soto was such, such high demand. Yeah. You know, with the lockout and all that stuff. Yeah. We were 30 minutes in. Um, Cage, I want to give you if you have any anything to say, any questions, or we could. I was happy up with to just talk like a, about Juan Soto. I wanted to hear about Juan Soto, man. I mean, I want to. We sold a lot of John Morant cards too. We have to look at the numbers. I'm upset, yeah, man. I, savages in the box. You remember that? Like, I might throw back to the Yankees. You know, my guys are savages in the box. Like, I'm upset. There's no, there's no baseball here. You know, so it's, I'm, I'm happy to hear. If Soto was a top seller, whether he's two, three, five, whatever it is, it means people are expecting baseball. Right, and people are prospecting on Soto, so that makes me happy to hear. Actually, um, you know, it, the news coming out of the talks between the owners and the players doesn't make me happy. It doesn't seem like they're close at all. But no, you know, I don't. Think they don't want to be close right now. Yeah, I, some, I get that sometimes. So, you know, I get that with Andrew. It's when, when they start missing games is when I think you start to see some movement. Yep, it's very true. Yeah, man. Okay, so I have. I'm looking at the site. All right. If I have a really expensive card, right, a really expensive card, let's just say, I don't know, $150,000, $200,000 card. The options to me are standard auction house, right? Maybe try to call Heritage, maybe Robert Edward, maybe Leland's, maybe, I mean, probably not Leland's, maybe Memory Lane if it's an old baseball card, you know. Um, and then, you know, Ken. He's doing his thing, obviously. Ken's the name, right? Ken gets Ken gets the best prices, uh, or PWCC. Um, but every one of those places is going to charge a significant percent, right? Every Can't one of those time has, cage. Fuck, what's man. up? It's supposed Can't to take so time. long. Yeah, I mean that's true, also, right? I mean, it takes it takes even if you are lucky and you get something to them quickly, you know, okay, this is going to go in this month's premiere auction, right? Or this month's, you know, whatever it is. Um, it still takes a couple of weeks for them to list it, and then it takes a couple of weeks for it to get auctioned off, and then a couple of weeks for the payment, if you're lucky, and all that other fun stuff. You're talking about a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe. Um, are you guys looking to play in that sphere? Is that something that's coming? Well, yeah, to be honest with you. I'll, I'll let Ken talk over specifics, um, but we're, we're definitely going to be tip, dipping our toes in that market here this month. Um, Ken, do you want to kind of go over the, the process for that? High level, if it's all right. I don't want to bro- yeah, drop sure, any secrets. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, listen, we, we uh, you know, we definitely, I mean, we sell high-end cards. You know, we, we definitely, um, every month, you know, we have, 
you know, five, you know, many, many five figure cards, you know, that sell, you know, month in and month out. Um, but, uh, you know, with our current setup, PayPal does put limits on, on, you know, transaction limits. So right now that it is, you know, in the 50, 60 K range. Um, and then of course, um, you know, there's the peer to peer, you know, aspect of it. Uh, so, um, you know, where I think, you know, that all the names that you just mentioned, you know, the auction houses, I mean, obviously they take in consignments, you know, they're physically taking in the items. So I, I think there's just a degree of comfortability, you know, with someone that's spending six figures on a card, you know, that they're just, uh, that there's some protection there, that it's, it's, they don't have to wait for this uh, person, you know, that they've never met before to ship them the card. Um, so, you know, so we just felt that uh, if we want to start just, you know, doing more of that type of business. And obviously, you know, we have members that buy and sell at that level all the time. They're just, you know, doing it more, you know, in other venues, you know, just because of maybe some of the things that, uh, you know, that I mentioned, you know, so to maybe attempt to solve some of those problems, you know, we're, we're um, going to be doing uh, like an escrow arrangement on the high end. Well, you know, so, Obviously, uh, people that don't know each other are not going to be shipping to each other. You know, they're going to be shipping to, uh, you know, a, a third party, Ship My Cards, who is, um, you know, they do have an excellent reputation. And, and um, you know, Matt knows the owner for, for quite a while. So we do trust them uh, to the utmost. And, um, you know, we're obviously sellers are going to ship the items there and then, you know, before the buyer's funds get, you know, released to the seller, you know, we're, you know, we are going to be able to verify that the item is what it's supposed to be. And it's in the condition that it's supposed to be in before the seller gets any money. Um, so, you know, that in conjunction with, uh, you know, a more, uh, a, more a, a lower fee structure. Um, we haven't pinned down exactly what that is yet. I mean, it's definitely going to be, um, we're going to do a 0% seller fee. Um, it's, it's going to be a buyer premium, uh, 5% or less. We just have to figure out exactly what our overhead is going to be. So we're still in the final stages of pinning that down, but, um, we're, we're, um, you know, going to try to just offer a very, very competitive fee structure, uh, with, you know, that, that impartial third set of hands in the middle of the transaction to hopefully, give people that extra layer of, of comfortability to uh, do more high-end transactions. So, I mean, are we going to steal the high-end market? Are we going to like dominate? No, I would never come on here and say that, but you know, listen, obviously the hobby is a big place. There's a lot to go around. And I, I, I think if we do these types of things, we can take more, more of that, uh, more of that market share. In my mind, the bottom line in that market, um, most of those cards are typically reserved for auction houses because of the safety, security, uh, and you generally know you're going to get a good price. What we intend to offer is um, speed with the payments and the shipments that can't be matched anywhere with the lowest street fee structure possible. Theoretically, if you buy a $250,000 card on our site as a buyer, because of the way it's going to be set up, you're never in danger of losing your money. And as a seller, you're never in danger of losing that card. The money's going to be tied up in escrow. The card's going to ship my cards so nobody can receive anything they're not supposed to. Um, in theory, if you buy that $250,000 card from me on Friday night, myself as the seller, if I 
as fast as I can get that card to our um, ship my cards, theoretically you can be paid in 24 to 48 hours. The minute that hits the MySlabs account, we're going to be notified. You're going to get that money if all is good. And as the buyer, where you know typically you'd have to wait three to four weeks for your item, you can choose to have that shipped immediately from Ship My Cards or stored in their vault facility. So all of these these high-end transactions that typically take three to four weeks to get paid and or receive your item could be a thing of the past. And the the kind of understated part of this here is the sellers are going to have their items in their possession. So if all of a sudden they change their mind, you know, or somebody gives them an offer off-site or, uh, you know, a deal, whatever, they can pull the card. They have it in their possession. They can go elsewhere with that deal. They aren't kind of at the, the auction house's mercy right. where they would never get the card back. Right. And Matt, I would assume the reverse is also true. Let's say I met someone on Instagram or Facebook. I could also say, why don't we make the deal on my slabs and bring the customer over both the buyer and the seller. Absolutely. 1% on both sides, but I, I have a trusted middleman third party. So uh, yeah. and for anybody that isn't familiar, uh, I would encourage you to look into ship my cards. They're a huge, huge outfit. Um, this is business as usual for them. When I presented them this idea a couple of years ago, uh, as far as just the escrow thing, they were all, you know, all about it. Um, they've made us a priority um, so far. They have, we have a large international membership and they predominantly use ship my cards. They yep. ship some massive stuff overseas and even through the US because they have an Oregon facility. So people take advantage of the Oregon facility. Um, so th this is not a kind of mom and pop overnight pop up company. These guys are legitimate. Um, they're the best in the business. So if you don't know them, I would encourage you to Google them, check them out. Um, they're just good people, good business people all the way around. Yeah, and that's a, just one one quick point, that, kind of to touch on what you said, Matt. Like, um, you know, if you if you want to sell something through, uh, you know, a high end item, and you're going to consign it to an auction house, like, you know, there there's some auction risk there, right? Like, it's it's um, I mean, it's going to sell, but there's no guarantee what it's going to sell for. And like, once it's out of your possession, it's gone, right? They're going to sell it to somebody, and that thing's gone. Like, what if you're somebody that you know maybe you're open to selling something, but you know, you want to get a certain price and, and, you know, if you can't get a certain price, you know, you don't want to sell it and you're, you just kind of want to put it out there into the wild and see if you get offers on it or whatever the case may be, obviously as you know, as opposed to doing it through like an auction to do it through like an, you know, like an arrangement that we're going to set up. I mean, you have more flexibility. You know? you'll, you'll have all the leverage as a seller. We're growing extremely rapidly. I mean, in this model, you can market that card to, we're coming up on 50,000 accounts right now and growing, like I said, really fast. So you can put it out there as a seller. You know, if it doesn't sell and you get a, a deal elsewhere, I mean, it's, it's in my mind, the cleanest and most efficient way to sell a high-end card. You know what I'm thinking? I'm, I'm thinking about, because this has happened to me a bunch of times, where it's something I'll come up in an auction and it's, you know, a big card. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I don't really want to go in my pocket for all this. Maybe, you know, maybe, and then I pass on it because I'm, I mean, I don't want to probably spend $200,000, you know, but I happen to have another card that I would trade for that, but I can't call Ken Golden and say, Hey Ken, I know this is for sale and it's, you know, five days to go on the auction. You know, you think the, 
the the buyer might take my PSA 10 Jordan rookie for that Charizard PSA 10. You know, you, I mean, you think the seller might do that? You want to you wanna try to work that deal out? No. Um, I can do that at a show, sure. But now what it seems like is I can take that Jordan PSA 10 listed on my slams with you guys. And if there's a week left in the auction, I might actually have the money to pay for the card when I win it on somebody else's auction. Like you're providing liquidity there. So, yeah. you know, it, to me, that's a huge, huge uh, benefit. And you're right, because, you know, people listening might be like, oh, well, why wouldn't you just put it on your story? Well, I'm popular, but, you know, chances are I'm not going to move that on a story. And I'm definitely not going to get as many people looking at that card on my story on Instagram as you guys are going to get eyeballs on it on my slabs. Yeah. So pretty cool. Well, and we are growing rapidly. I would say that but, uh, it's kind of exponentially at this point, and Matt, uh, so am I. But it's COVID's fault. I'm saying that I don't get a lot of exercise, and you know I love Chick Fil A, so I'm growing rapidly too. But I'm well, this, sweat, this sweatshirt's covering up a mess here. If someone's on the other end of this audience, you know, are are you guys hiring? Are you looking for any talent? Um, to be honest with you, like we currently, um, no. Um, I mean that's not you know we're we're. The truth of it is, like anytime that we we are uh, we do bring anybody on, we go out to the MySlabs community, um, and usually, like we 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 get people um, immediately. I mean, like right now, we have a team of um, probably like a, a dozen people, 12, 15 people. Um, you know, most of them are hourly resources. You know, so we definitely, obviously, we don't uh, we haven't gone out to the equity market, so we're not sitting on a pile of cash to go out and just hire you know a whole corporate infrastructure of, of people uh, you're so, building business the old-fashioned way yeah, <laughs> the good way i mean you know yeah uh, with a little twist of being remote though which is a huge benefit oh yeah, for absolutely sure. for sure and listen obviously the the you know kind of like having people hourly uh is um it kind of works for us because obviously the card business is 24 7 right like it's not like the card business is the kind of thing where you can come in at nine and, and punch a clock and leave at five and and you know clock out on friday and see you on monday i mean obviously we're you know we have customer service inquiries that are coming in literally around the clock uh so you know i think that uh being able to kind of have remote staff and and people work flexibly flexibly like i i think that it uh you know we have people that are you know answering inquiries you know anytime on the weekends here there like i think it just really lends itself to our business um so um, we just when you we hear that do you guys hear that ice cream here it's very difficult to be thin <laughs> i hear the ice cream truck we, 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 March. we knew is it, is it, is it nice spring weather i don't I, not by me it's cold and rainy here but i want ice cream now oh that, that, that was awesome I want some ice cream. I want you guys cream. hustle in New York. Like, uh, ice cream man's like, yeah, what, what do you need from me? I need to make a dollar. I, I don't care. Ice it's cream, 30 man. degrees outside. That's awesome. To the point of the employees, we knew we were going to have to bulk up customer service staff considerably when we opened up the raw division, uh, strictly because of all the kind of nuances and issues that go with that. The first thing we did was hire people we know well from the industry, uh, from the remote positions group subbers, people that have been in the industry for decades and are familiar with handling raw on a large scale. Um, so that it's kind of a well we have, a well we can tap anytime we want. Um, and we're smart enough to know as we grow, we're going to have to staff up again. But 
the reason we were so confident with the raw cards is because we knew we were going to have people that have been involved in the industry forever, you know, running it, helping out with it. Um, so, yeah, yeah I mean, all, all of our customer service people, man, they're all, you know, uh, they're all card people. You know, they're all people that well, and they're all trained by Matt. So they're all good to go. True, man. Half pretty sure half of them hate me right now like we all have one group conversation we stay in touch with all day i'm pretty sure they've created another one at this point <laughs> be nice to your people nobody likes you know being told that they're entitled nobody likes you know when the boss yells at them nobody uh, i don't know plus it's impossible to yell a messenger i do the all capture it's the, the remote world it's a different place man it's a different, yep. it's a different now it, we have a great group of people all, all seriousness aside we do we have a tremendous tremendous group of individuals yep. involved right now and shout out to uh david owens guys uh riverfront collectibles i think most of you probably follow him uh he runs social for my slabs and he's the one that puts us in touch all the time so you know thank you if you're listening i really appreciate it Luca Nation, that's another episode. Big week, lots going on. Be on the lookout for more guest episodes, really, really cool guests coming, and some other fun stuff. And I'm, I have a play that I'm excited for. I was going to give it on this episode. I'll save it for tomorrow. But it's, nice. uh, it's a soccer play, guys. Stay on the lookout. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I, I appreciate coming on here. It's always fun. Listen, Luca Nation. Matt. If you if your if your interest was piqued by my slams, whether you you know you might not have used them before, reach out to these guys. You know, if you got questions, I'm sure they got customer service ready to answer your questions, walk you through the process of you know listing, you know buying, selling, you name it. And um, you know they got a lot of cards on there. Uh, just take a look at the site. Take a look at what they have on my slab. I mean, everything from you know crazy you know comics and slabs, you know crazy cards. You can kind of get lost for a couple hours just looking at some of the stuff that people put up for sale on there. Pretty high end stuff. It's pretty nuts. So um, these guys are really approachable. They're very friendly, and you can't really you can't beat what they're charging for um, you know for selling on that platform. So you know if you got any questions, reach out to these guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now ah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.